Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacature, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. On this episode, we're talking about something that's been on everybody's mind lately, canceling fundraising events. Our guests are Michelle Gilmore and Darren Deese, who wrote a book called Eventology, The Science Behind Event Fundraising. Hey, Trent, how are you? I'm doing well, Julie. I see that you're working from your son's bedroom here. I am working from my 15-year-old son's bedroom. He's kind enough to uh, to vacate for a few minutes because it's the only place that's quiet when you have... Uh, two teenagers who need to stay home from school. Yeah. When did your office make the call to work from home? We decided last Thursday that we would all go home and work from there and uh, do our best to stay engaged and continue our work as a responsive philanthropic organization in a difficult time of crisis, but no external meetings and no gathering in place. So speaking of the work that you do, can you tell me what you're seeing in terms of intergenerational work and the grantees that you work with in terms of their response? It's dramatically in flux right now. Our typical program brings together a senior with a kid in school to provide mentoring and tutoring. And, you know, obviously here in California, at least, and hopefully elsewhere, seniors are asked to stay in their homes and there are no kids in their schools. So... Um, We're finding organizations trying as fast as possible to not only take care of their vulnerable populations, but figure out what their work looks like moving forward and uh, looking into all kinds of options that involve um, technology and phones and computers and virtual meetings and things like this phone call that we're on right here. But we have to still find ways to uh, unite those two groups for the betterment of both, not only them, but our society as a whole. So it's a, it's a rapidly evolving field as we speak. Yeah, I feel like every day is let's throw away the plans we made yesterday and do our new plans for today and hope that they're relevant tomorrow. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm comforted by the fact that there are a lot of really smart people in this field um, who are doing the best they possibly can. And in many cases, stepping into a vacuum where perhaps others aren't ready to lead and, and provide the guidance that we need in this particular case. hmm and then does your inbox look like mine with just a, uh, a, a slew of canceled events? Well, that is the, the positive, right? Is that uh, my schedule has opened up dramatically. So if anyone wants to uh, partake in a Zoom call, I am available. Um, but yeah, there's no travel. There's no meetings. Um, everything has gone as, as quickly as possible, extending all the way to, you know, obviously um, my children's activities. So, you know, the, uh, it, there, there is no problem with a work-life balance right now um, because I have nothing to balance other than to just stay home and, uh, and, and try to figure out how best we can help in this difficult time. I think a lot of organizations are in that place where it feels like, well, what do we do and what do we do next? So that's the topic that's on everyone's minds, which is why we're doing this episode today. Initially, we were talking about making this episode, how do you decide to cancel an event? And I feel like that has been decided for us. So now we're going to talk about, you know, what do you do when you cancel an event and what, what does that look like? How do you still help and how are you still present? 
So we're joined today by two event fundraising experts. Michelle Gilmore is the Senior Development Director at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and Darren Deese is a fundraising coach and benefit auctioneer. Michelle and Darren, welcome. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having us. We're, we're happy to be here with you guys. So you two wrote a book called Eventology, which is the science behind nonprofit fundraising. We'll probably have you back on to talk about the science of event fundraising. But today we want to talk about something that we're all just thinking about all the time now, it feels like, of what do we do now? What do we do since we can't have this event? So Michelle, let's start with you. You work at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and you mentioned to me that last week you had to cancel over 100 events. Can you talk about the decision-making there and, and what you're doing from there? Yes. So cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease that affects the lungs primarily. So it puts us in our families and our staff and many of our you know, CF heroes in the high-risk category. So we've actually been postponing and canceling events for well over three weeks, a little bit above, you know, ahead of the curve, if you will. One day we were um, kind of making a case in San Diego to push off an event that we had coming up on March 26th and something that we would have to submit to our home office in Bethesda, Maryland, kind of a case for support and, and and we would have to say, you know, how many schools are closed or how many cases do we have? Well, by the next day, Tuesday at 2 o'clock p.m., the whole foundation had canceled every event up through April 30th. So it really just changed. The lens was is changing so quickly that it's really interesting and a, a, an amazing time, really. Yeah, amazing isn't always good, though, right? And so Darren and I have been conversing about this a lot, and he comes from the event side as an auctioneer. And so he's had a lot of phone calls in the last couple of weeks. Um, Darren, why don't you share a little bit about that? 17 to be exact. I had 17 events for the spring season. And uh, out of the 17, first Monday and Tuesday, um, about 10 of them postponed or were un undecided, but they just knew we couldn't keep the dates. And then by Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, every one of them had, had taken off the spring calendar. And, you know, the, the sad part about it is there are some events that can easily reschedule into the, the fall season, but so many of the organizations are, were just so much concerned because they need those dollars to operate now. Um, not all nonprofits have the, the capacity and the savings to, to fund the things that you know, continue to fund. Because one of the things Michelle said earlier in the week was, you know, cystic fibrosis is going to continue to operate. But I work with so many smaller nonprofits where a $50,000 gala or a $150,000 gala is their everything. And they've already counted on that to be in the bank by June because their event was already, already, come, already happening. And now they can't do that. And those are a lot of small nonprofits that have a huge impact in all the local communities. Um, so that's where Michelle and I started jumping in is, you know, don't reschedule, reinvent. And let's find a way to, uh, to, put, to put your program online. So what can we do to make the best of, uh, of where we're at? And that's what we're dealing with every day now. So let's, let's talk about that. You said don't reschedule, reinvent. Can you give us some examples? The traditional gala, 300 people are going to show up to dinner. Um, they've bought their ticket. You've already sold their sponsorships. Um, in some of the conversations I've had uh, with, my, with my clients in the last just even week is, 
if we reschedule, um, you know, we can still keep the ticket scale. So people aren't going to want their refunds. Um, and I've kind of encouraged them as like, most people probably won't take their refunds because they're, they're donating to a cause that they already love. So they did it for a particular reason. So I don't think a majority of those people are going to say, if I can't go and get my rubber chicken dinner, I want my money back. And I think the same thing goes with the sponsors. Most of the sponsors, and on a phone call we had last week, one of the sponsors did say, she's like, I've already budgeted that money out of my expenses, so I'm not going to ask for that back. We understand that, that your organization needs to reschedule or reinvent. But when we can go back into, and the conversation I've had with a few of our organizations is, let's go back to like the, back in the old days, we're reinventing, but we're just reinventing with today's technology. Jerry Lewis uh, telethons raised two and a half billion dollars over the years. We have internet and we've got the YouTube and Facebook Live and all the different technology, but there's still a great opportunity with where we're at right now with social distancing. Um, you know, we can't be in the same room, but if we put that, that same concept in a, a small studio, whether it's a school gymnasium, uh, a local playhouse, or just a recording studio from a local news channel, and we use their studio with their equipment and took that event online and gave people that same satisfaction that they can see where their money's gonna go, they can see the impact of the donations, they can get their name scrolling across the screen on the bottom. Those are, those are big factors and people are gonna need a, something to do, but let's take advantage of the fact that people are stuck at home, so let's entertain them and, and do that. Michelle and I have had different conversations on this because part of those the, the nonprofits that need that money now to operate. They need it right now. They need it today. But Michelle and I had the conversation in depth this morning and started last night. Is this time right now the right time to actually ask for money? There's so much uncertainty. Are we in a time where we can ask families who they don't know when their kids are going back to school? They don't know how long they're not going to get paychecks. Um, there's just a lot of uncertainty. So is this the right time to even ask individuals for money? I think that's a good question for Trent, really. I think it's always a good time to ask for money. People are, are grown-ups, and they will prioritize the things in their life that are more important. I'm not going to take food out of my own children's mouths to feed someone else's children. That's, that's just the way it is in the world. I might decide that I don't need to, um, to buy a new pair of pants. I might decide I don't need to buy that movie on demand that I'd like to see. When you make a compelling case for a compelling group that obviously needs more help than, than I do, I think it's always okay. You treat, treat donors like grownups, and if they can't Let afford to do decision. it, absolutely. If they can't afford to do it right now, they'll tell you no. Um, but you've engaged them as an adult, and you've conversed with them as an adult, you've communicated with them, um, and you've built up trust with them, and hopefully you've respected them in that, in that exchange so that when you come back later and they do have a little bit of money in their pockets, they'll be more likely to, uh, to, to join your cause and, and to come to your event, whether it's online or, or in person. But, uh, but I don't think there should ever be a time when you can't um, ask people to support those who are in need. Michelle, is that your experience with the uh, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation? Have you found that that approach that Trent just mentioned is, is effective? Definitely. Absolutely. I'm actually happy to hear you say that, Trent, only because between CF, uh, the, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and also the work that Darren and I do with our clients, uh, we're kind of in 
that question mark time. One of the things that I am considering as we create some virtual options for people is the storytelling piece is always compelling, you know, and, and so CF story, we rely on that, but you do see us stepping back right now with active fundraising. And I would look to putting a virtual fundraising t uh, replacement event together, maybe not right now, maybe not this month, but down the road a little bit because it gives you time to prepare and then create the, the, the impact videos and the things that are going to go with that storytelling that's going to be impactful to an appropriate, I think, time and audience. So let's talk about what a virtual event might look like. I'll only speak for myself in the 100 Zoom meetings I've been a part of in the last three <laughs> days and what a pain right? they've been to put together. Um, but, but tell me, what is the, what's a virtual event? Like, what are the elements of it that you could be thinking about as an organization? The, 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 I'm in a, a group of fundraising auctioneers uh, called Benefit Auctioneer Specialists. So these are just professional auctioneers around the country, and we all talk all day, every day, because right now we all have two months off. Nobody's working, so trying to reinvent and do these. And Zoom is definitely a platform. Zoom does have some capacity if you get their, uh, their upgraded format, or you can actually host up to 1,000 individuals in a Zoom meeting. So Darren, there is, there, Darren do, you guys, do you guys talk really, really fast when you all talk to each other at the same time? <laughs> I knew that was yeah. coming. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, and do you call on each other left and right? <laughs> we we do. All right, your turn. You're up. I'm going to the 30. Your way. I got a hundred. Yeah, that's all I want. All you want to know. You. I get it. Um, but the the technology is there to kind of support that that virtual piece. Um, and some of the fear from auctioneers is, you know, we don't want to get away from doing live events. So some of the fears was, you know, if we do this, are we going to lose the gala experience? But you know, people like live sports. They like live concerts. They like live fundraising events. And we definitely don't want to get away with it. This is, in my opinion, is really just a temporary solution to get us through the next eight to 24 weeks. We don't know how long this is going to be. The technology is there. That virtual event is um, a, a, great, a great resource is, um, uh, you know, the kind of that telethon style I spoke about earlier. There's a great event. It's called Stand Up for Cancer. It's, it's you know, it's produced nationwide and it's a great 45 minute show. A lot of those pieces are kind of pre-recorded and then they're aired in a live format. And then it is really the same concept that Jerry Lewis did with the telethon. And it gives people a chance to, to be entertained, share your story. Michelle talked about the value of, of, of storytelling. Those stories already exist. You have those stories, you're just sharing them. You're getting a storyteller that's kind of putting that message out. They're talking to the executive director. We're talking to the kids that need the help, whether it's a school, it's, it's cancer, it's cystic fibrosis, whatever the story is, we're bringing those and we're showcasing some of those people. Yeah, something, I just wanna throw a little something in there too, because when, when we talk about a gala, for instance, when you break that down, each piece you could convert, right? So we know that the silent auction, we can convert to an online auction, which is my favorite anyway, to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always pushing people to put their a silent auction online. It's so much more powerful. You get more coverage. You get, a, you know, a lot more bang. You don't have to carry there. all the baskets. Exactly. But, um, and then with the live auction, there's a way to do it on a stage with streaming it live using Facebook live. And maybe you limit the number of items to, to Darren's point is you wouldn't have 15 because that might get too long and get too cumbersome, but it's still doable. Then as far as the ask, I think that there's a fun way to do that. I would say maybe make a little care package 
and you send everyone a, a little bottle of wine and some cheese and crackers and, and maybe a paddle, right? So that they actually can physically hold up their paddle and bid and just feel like they're part of it. And, and they can type in donations. They can, you know, text donations. There's so what make I think feel, is make them feel a part of it as much as you can to just make it so much different out of the box. Right. Really create an event and, you know, just use those little things to customize it to your guest experience to just make it still fun and engaging and uh, get something out of that. So I think I'm hearing three things from you, which one is that investing in some technology to make a virtual event is really important. And it sounds like what you're saying, too, is like you don't have to do the whole event but if you can do parts of your event, that's really good. The other thing I'm hearing from you is communication and involvement with your community, even if you need to scale it down. So like making them feel a part of something that's mission related. So, right, it's a little bit about the event, but it's a lot about the mission. Um, and the other thing I think I'm hearing from you is really just finding a way to tell the stories that you've pre-planned, like you're not going to be able to move an event virtual just by saying, we're going to do it at the same time and we'll just throw a camera up. It really is like planning a show. Right. Um, is that about right? Are those the three areas or is there more? Um, uh, yeah, I think they are the three areas and I, I'd hate to scare somebody off about when you said invest in technology. There's a lot of technology that's there that is not expensive. It's not a, it's not a huge expense. It's going to be cheaper than most of the venues you rent. Um, and you, you know, you can, you own the technology. Um, the Facebook platform is, you know, is very inexpensive. You know, the streaming gets a little expensive, but that, that can be done, but it's, it's very, very affordable to do. And there's a lot of solutions out there. There's so many options for people to look into. Um, and, but making it, you know, making it unique and different and fun and engaging somebody, I think is, is the biggest win. And it can show over and over again. It's not just one time from six to seven fifteen. Someone can choose to watch it at midnight or the following week and still leave it open to where if they want to make gifts, they can. What I'm hearing is that for those organizations that feel like they obviously have to cancel their events at this point in time, um, that you're telling them a series of things that hopefully gets them through the night. I mean, you're, the first thing you're telling them is it's okay to ask people if they can keep the money that they've already committed for their tickets that you know that they weren't giving to their particular event because they wanted the chicken dinner but because they wanted to support your organization so can we keep the money because we will put it to good use right um, and that's, a, also, well, that's all that part of the messaging yeah and it also seems to me like you're, you're also presenting people at that point with an opportunity to just make a gift um to tell them you know, thank you for letting us keep the $50 for the ticket. We are canceling because there are scary circumstances out there and the people that we serve are vulnerable. Would you consider making another gift at this point in time to support that group? Because we're still working, even though we can't have this party. Right. Um, and then it seems to me that you're also telling people at this point, there's a third thing, which is let's try to have this in some form or another online, through Zoom, whatever the other choices are, so that we can create that third level of funding that we all know is the difference in an event. Because most of the time, your ticket and a small donation at an event is just enough to pay for the event. And these things really go to the next level when you're able to get people to make larger gifts, 
to pay too much money for something at a silent auction and to become members and support the organization in the long run. So I think that what you're saying here is that, you know, for these organizations that are scared and are saying, oh my God, we're going to have to cancel our event, look at it as an opportunity, not as something that just kills everything right here and now. Exactly, Trent. And one thing I want to point out, I had two events, I got two event uh, emails on Monday saying our event is canceled. And then they had to retract it because then they tried to, well, it shouldn't have been canceled, maybe postponed. So really think about that messaging before you put that word out there. Because canceled is all right, we're, we're not even thinking about it. Postponed gives you options and think about Absolutely. it. Um, the big piece that we know, you know, no event director, event coordinator, or development director is going to make that decision by him or herself. But, you know, giving a board a few options to discuss, I think, really just kind of helps helps them understand we've got choices to make and then they can make the right choice for their organization. But Darren and Michelle, in, in your book, you say that managing the days, weeks and months before an event well make all the difference. Um, can you talk about how that applies to a canceled event? So I really want to talk about communication. It's funny because one of the things we do in our eventology workshops is we ask the um, attendees, the guests to break up in small groups and then they come up with an annual development plan and we give seven or eight topics for them to make sure to include. So this would be, you know, some kind of giving Tuesday, um, maybe messaging. It might be end of year ask. It could be an event, might be a golf tournament. So they put some things on a timeline and one of the things is a planning, a dedicated, what I call quiet time and planning. And so it's interesting because everyone gets together, they do their, their uh, sample uh, calendar. And then at the end, I say, all right, everyone raise your hand and tell me what you think the most important thing on that development calendar is. And of course, everyone says, oh, the event, because that brings in the most money or the campaign or the end of year ask, because that's when everyone's making donations. And so I always challenge them. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think it's the planning. So now we have this little golden opportunity. Trent, you brought up the word opportunity, and I absolutely agree with you. For the people that are, are canceling these events and ideally postponing them, even if they become a virtual event down the road, wow, what an opportunity to take the time to data mine what you have in your database, find out who made donations last year, make a targeted, you know, um, email campaign, a social media campaign around that's really directed to them, personalized, and go ahead and roll that out and really take the time to plan it well. I think that is going to be your best bet, whether you're postponing your events or if you're canceling them and looking in 2021. Let me ask you something specific. Um, and then Trent, I'm interested in your opinion on this too. Um, what are the things a donor needs to hear when an event is changed or moved. How would you break that down, Michelle? And then for Trent, I wanna know as a board member or as an event sponsor who's giving at a higher level, are those the same things? Yeah, that's a good question. We've had seven, several types of messaging going out. And I think what they wanna hear is that, that you care about us. I'm, I'm the donor, I just bought tickets to a ladies luncheon at the end of March. And you just sent me an email that said, you know, because of coronavirus and safety measures that we're, we're canceling. So what's the first thing I want to know? Can I get a refund? Or what's going to happen with my ticket if you postpone it? Can I still use the ticket down the road? So are you answering my questions for safety and consideration first? You know, are you taking care of my people and myself and my body and my health? And what about my money? 
right? So I think, uh, and we've had to address it in multi-different, you know, multi-channels. So we've used social media to make sure everyone knew that we're postponing the date. We would let them know when the new date is. And one thing, Trent, you talked about, and Darren, so did you, but what, what we've found so far is everyone's so supportive and we've made it sure, we've made sure that people understand that their, their ticket purchase is 100% tax deductible as a straight donation if they choose not to, you know, to get a refund or parlay the ticket for down the road. I think those are the right answers. I think that, you know, so many of my, my responses in this um, series of podcasts go back to we need to be honest with each other. Um, we need to communicate with each other and we need to value each other. So if, if, if I, as a donor, a sponsor, a board member know that you were thoughtful in your pursuit and that I matter to you, if you explain it to me in a way that makes me feel like I'm a grown up and that you're not just doing it because your board chair decided he wanted to go on a second honeymoon, then I think we're going to be okay in the long run. So I, I just, again, it, it always goes back to treat me like a grown up, honor me like a grown up. And I think that we're going to, you know, we're going to get there together if we look at this as a partnership and not as one of us working for the other one. Err on the side of being honest with people um, and giving people options, as Michelle just said. You know, I mean, you know, I'm sorry we had to move the date. Here's why we had to move the date. We didn't go into this willy nilly. Um, there's, a real, there's a really good reason for it. And now that we've made that change, we recognize that this may be an inconvenience for you. So here are your choices moving forward. Yeah, I love that. I think the choices are really important to people when they are receiving information that they weren't expecting. So they get to choose their, their next path. I would love to end with the best thing you've seen at an event that might be helpful to our listeners um, in this time or you know when things hopefully return to normal. And while you're thinking of that answer, I just want to underscore one thing that I think, um, I think I heard Trent say, which is that, you know, be clear about your, your costs, be clear about what this event means to your organization, be authentic and be honest about it. Because I think sometimes donors think one thing about an event, and if we can educate them on what it means to the organization, I think you can get move people into a really nice spot. So with that, I'll ask for um, event best practices. Drum roll, please, right? Yes. Well, my, mine's, mine's easy. I'm all about the money, right? I, I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if you say to me, what's the best thing you've seen at an event? I think, what's the thing that I've seen most successfully bring in the most dollars to make the most impact, right? Because it's all about the impact that you're making on the mission for the organization. And um, my pro tip, for that is for a, um, you know, find a sponsor that would typically sponsor something like the bar or a VIP lounge or something like that and have them sponsor the paddle raise or the giving, you know, the, what we call um, bid for a cure in the cystic fibrosis world and uh, have them match at a certain level. And it's been a lot of fun. Darren does this a lot. He and I work together on a lot of events. And we've seen a huge, huge increase of uh, paddle raise, fund the need type of donations when there's a match involved. You asked, you asked the question, you know, what's the best thing I've seen in an event? So 
kind of un untraditional the answer, but my favorite part of an event um, we did, it was a cancer resource center. Um, we were doing our ask. We just kind of shared our story and why. And the, the lady who raised her hand up front, she was bawling. She was crying just frantically because she was so excited. Her hand was shaking as she raises her hand to raise $10,000. And just to have that moment, I wish everybody was able to see her because she was so excited that her money was going to go to use and help so many people. And I, I want to have that at every event. Unfortunately, I don't. But that is probably the one thing that will always stand out that I haven't forgot because that was probably four years ago. Um, and that's just a moment that I would love to have multiple times when people care that much about helping somebody else. The events that resonate the most are the ones that feel like that particular organization. Um, they feel authentic and they feel like you're at a gathering of those donors and those recipients and those staff members and not just this is charity X having charity Y right. event. Um, and I can't discern it from the one I was at to at last week. So mm -hmm. um, again, just authenticity. And if it means that you don't have the celebrity or you don't have the fancy dinner or, you know, you don't even have it at a, at a nice place, you know, you have it, you know, in a park or at the beach, um, wherever it is, as long as it feels like your particular organization, I think that donors are, are more inclined to want to support your work in the long run. Don't, don't try to be something you're not. Yeah, always, I love that. Always good advice. Darren and Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on short notice and giving your expertise. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.